Good morning. I hope you're having a fine Sunday morning. Thank you for joining us on another edition of Miami Valley Voices on this Cox radio station. As usual, I'm your host from the Dayton Daily News, Ron Rollins, and uh, I am in the studio today with a a repeat customer, somebody who's been on before, but uh, she has something brand new to talk about that's really kind of exciting. If you follow uh, the arts and culture and economic development in our community, we've got uh, Martine Collier, the president and CEO of CultureWorks. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you for asking me to be here today. Absolutely. Ron. Well, um, I, 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 uh, I've been planning on getting you in for a while when, when I, once I heard the results of, of what you're here to talk about. And, and CultureWorks has been at the spear point of, of kind of leading a, a pretty large-scale community conversation for several years now about um, the sort of the, the, the state and sustainability of the fine arts community in, in, in town. Um, and you recently released your report with some interesting findings. Um, take, us, take us from there. Fill us in. Well, well, first of all, the last cultural planning initiative undertaken in this region was in 1992. Uh, it was spearheaded by the Montgomery County Arts and Cultural District. It was a, called a name from our past, right? Innovation was the name of it. I believe I I edited the story on it. Yes, I remember. Did you really? Okay. Well, we had some people involved this time around who were also involved in that that time, so uh, they had some some familiarity. But uh, anyway, that's a long time to go without a cultural plan. Now, that plan, the results were a couple of things. Um, First of all, CultureWorks was created when Arts Dayton and the Miami Valley Arts Council came together. I still have an old Arts Dayton coffee mug. You do. Just well, that, so may you know. be, that might be a collector's item. <laughs> I'm sure it is. We could probably auction that off and make some big bucks, <laughs> Ron. Could. I'm, go- I'm going to eBay while you talk. You keep okay. going. <laughs> so. so, but the big thing that came out of that cultural plan, big in every s- meaning of the word, mm. was the decision to build a performing arts center, which became 11 years later yeah, the, the Schuster, Schuster Center. center. Right. And what's really interesting in reading that plan is it's 1992. It wasn't built until 2003, right. but they described the number of seats, it being a multi-purpose building. They came out of that planning process with a real vision. And then, of course, this community put that vision into uh, something that has has really been a a great addition to the community. And it's probably, I'm imagining there's probably almost nobody listening to this program who's not been to the Schuster Center at least once. I would love to believe that. You'd be surprised. I meet people all the time who have never been in the Schuster Center. I do a well, that's interesting. I do a cultural arts day for Leadership Dayton, mm-hmm. and you would they were all what there is always someone that uh, has never been in there before. That's interesting. So you would assume that, but yeah. you might be wrong. Well, I mean, I, 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 you know me. I mean, I'm a kind of a big arts consumer because Absolutely. it used to be my job. Literally, mm-hmm. I was in charge of arts coverage for the Daily News for many years. But also, I like it. I mean, it's just it's a hobby and it's a a big part of our leisure time, um, so I may take it for granted. I may take it. I may take for granted something that isn't true. I don't know, but uh, but this community is truly blessed. I I know coming mm-hmm. in as an outsider, having been here only four years, sometimes I think people that have always lived here, and I find this out when I do leadership dates. Usually, someone at the end of the day will say, "Well, I just thought." If Dayton had all of these things, everybody had them because I've always lived here. Uh, no. And I said, yeah, right. no, no, yeah, no. Right. We this this community is truly blessed. The entire region, not yeah. just here in Dayton, but Springfield and right. throughout the region. Well, actually, well, and while we're talking about bricks and mortar, and before we move past that, it's not just the Schuster Center. It's the fact that it's across the street from the Victoria. Right. That's what that's what's always struck me as 
the the uh, the, the magical part of it. It's like it, it's it, it's not uncommon to have multiple venues in a community, obviously, regardless of size. But to have your two main ones that complementary literally across the street from one another is really interesting. And you're forgetting and the Loft Theater. And the Loft Theater, which too. Which is also, so, yeah. so all of those are very different size, very di- different spaces, but you're absolutely correct to have three performance spaces in such close proximity. It's just really is, cool. uh, is, it, it makes for a real cultural district right there, which is excellent. Well, so now you mentioned before we turned on the mics that, that this new cultural plan, because of everything you just said, really didn't need to focus in the future on bricks and mortar because we got that part figured out. So what did you focus on? What did you do? Well, so we've got fabulous facilities. So this was not an issue that that came up at all. Everyone was very, very well satisfied with the facilities. But it's more about... this plan was more about trying to figure out ways to better utilize our cultural assets to achieve civic and economic goals and at the same time making sure that we are sustaining those assets mm-hmm. so they will be here for the next generation because you really can't take that for granted things are closing across the country we've seen major long-term mm-hmm. arts organizations symphonies uh, museums shutter their doors because right. of bad economic times so well now and so when you're talking about the sustaining and and and, and the assets you're not talking again you're not talking about the, the buildings you're talking about the groups we're talking about the, the, the arts or- organizations that, that the, use artists them. Yeah, the artists and the arts organizations well, that, that make this possible well now with the exception of the late lamented city folk which we miss of course uh, it seems like the the this metropolitan area kind of weathered the the economic storm a lot better in these re- terms than many other larger communities around the country. I, I, and, and if you if you it, we lost one group that was relatively small compared to many other cities' groups that they lost. Talk about that. Why do you think that happened? Um, well, I think I, our, uh, everyone really tightened their belt in yeah. this community, mm-hmm. tightened their belt. You know, there's a degree to which you can tighten your belt until it starts really affecting your programming and you don't have enough people to do the way. And so mm-hmm. really everybody, um, the organizations here were stellar. They they cut staff. They they did everything to, to keep going and, and that was good. Uh, but, um, you know, I think you have to remember that we are a national model for the merger that mm-hmm. happened here. Talk about that. Remind, remind people of that one. Okay, so this happened in 2012. Mm-hmm. The three individual organizations, the Dayton Philharmonic, the Dayton Ballet, and the Dayton Opera, became one nonprofit organization called the Dayton Performing Arts Alliance. Mm-hmm. This is the first time this has happened in the country. Mm-hmm. A lot of national attention, New York Times. Uh, this was, and it was... Uh, you know, partially everyone looked at, yes, is this a, a, a way to sa- save costs? You mm-hmm. know, have one audit instead of three mm-hmm. and combined services. Yes, but the really amazing thing about this merger is the, the artistic product that mm-hmm. it made possible. Live music at the ballet mm-hmm. and, and extravaganzas with the opera, the ballet, both on stage with the Philharmonic in the pit. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
it, and it has been artistically, I don't think anyone can say anything but a, a huge success. Well, but I, I would agree, but it's also, as you said, it's, it's been a, a logistical, organizational success, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, one marketing department instead of three, automatically you got a savings, um, and, and that sort of thing. So it, it has been, has it been emulated anywhere else in the country? I have not heard that it No, uh, we've had a couple of instances of two organizations, mm-hmm. uh, I think, in, uh, in California, uh, Sacramento, I believe there were two organizations, an, uh, an opera and a philharmonic, mm-hmm. looking to come together. But this still remains the only merger of its kind in the United States. Why do you, th- why do you think it worked? Out of because it was necessary, or I mean, lots of things are necessary and they don't work. So what what what, what went well? What went I right? think it worked because they did it um, well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a good facilitator uh, helping them. And it basically worked because everyone was willing to uh, leave their egos at the door and come in and talk about what this might look look like. Mm-hmm. And I commend the organizations and the community that, that spawns organizations sure. that are willing to do that because in some communities, the arts organizations wouldn't even consider that. They would they would go down right. before they would merge. What? You, there are egos in the, big egos in the arts? Stop it's been it. known to happen, but not nearly, not in Dayton like I've seen it elsewhere. It does seem different here, yeah, but it, well, and the, by evidence of the fact that this, that the DPAA worked. Um, it's a more collaborative arts community. I've been, I've been in Georgia, I've been in Florida in arts communities. And, you know, even before the merger, um, there's more back and forth, human race with Victoria and everything. It's it's not as cutthroat all about me um, as I've seen other places. I wonder too, if that's also partly a result of the proximity we talked about a minute ago. They're all kind of in each other's back pockets, just in terms of where their offices are and where their studios and stages are. I mean, they they kind of, it's hard to avoid each other. And they share, in many ways, the shoes quite a bit and so they have to but uh, it's still I still will give them extra credit it's not just about proximity I think it's about attitude so building on that and the other stuff um, uh, talk let's get back to the plan so what sort of things were you looking for a cultural plan to accomplish well First of all, we started out this plan process in 2011 Mm -hmm. with a marketing research study, and all the organizations participated in that, and we had a national firm, AMS Planning and Research, Mm -hmm. look at that, and we were looking at, okay, where where are the people coming from that come to these performances? And, and why aren't the people that live right next door to them with the same income, and why aren't they coming? And mm-hmm. it reveals some, some uh, very interesting uh, data. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it identified uh, Butler County as a real mecca for you know, trying to market to mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. a lot of potential there. Mm-hmm. It also identified the fact that um, uh, it's the total cost of an evening out that that is can be a barrier to participation. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's the it's the babysitter, the parking, the mm-hmm. restaurant, mm-hmm. not just the cost of the. Uh, so as, as an empty nester, I guess I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, you're right. It so that's enabling Culture Works. We have a passport to the arts that right. also has restaurant discounts. So, um, you know, I think everybody kind of started looking at how can we we look at that and right. keep the cost of the evening down. But anyway, all of that information was released. Mm-hmm. Public and the arts organizations. Who did you talk to? I mean, who were the who was the who was the the group of folks that uh, you interviewed and that that gave us the research? Yeah. Pretty much oh. all of the arts organizations. Okay, audience members as well, or, or? Uh, this was mostly no. They gave the company 
their list, their donors, oh, and then okay. it was a telephone survey okay. done on, by the uh, national firm, uh, and then they, you know, they didn't keep those donor lists, then they were right. burned. So, so in your mind, that was a pretty broad survey. It was a pretty yeah. broad, and it brought some new information to the table. So mm. we followed that up with a um, economic impact study because mm. we knew that the arts and culture was important to the. Um, to the community, to the region's economic mm-hmm. impact, but we didn't have the data that proved it. Mm-hmm. So using Richard Stock from the University of Dayton. Oh, he's worked with our company as well, yeah. Whose son, by the way, just was nominated for a Tony Award, which is pretty exciting oh, on Broadway, right. Micah Scott. I, uh, and yeah, Richard okay. credits uh, Muse Machine and Human Race and the wonderful arts things. I didn't things put them together in the yes. same family. Okay, yes. that's interesting. So he did uh, the research working with Jane Dockery of mm-hmm. Wright State University, mm-hmm. and, that w- and that revealed, we did it very much like Americans for the Arts Studies, and it was the nonprofit sector and their audience Audiences that we looked at. So not the for-profit arts, just the nonprofit, And it revealed that it, um, the economic impact annually is $166 million mm-hmm. from, And this, you know, was um, uh, really a figure. We did some comparisons with other communities our size, and that's a little high for a community our size. This is pretty indicative sure. that we really do have a – the nonprofit arts does have a – significant economic impact. Uh, talk a little bit, when you're talking about the for-profit, just for people's understanding, com- give us an, a, an example of for-profit arts versus a non-profit arts. Uh, well, for-profit arts, here locally, um, you know, you could f- film, you know, okay. movies. Movie theaters. M- okay. Movie theaters. Yeah, okay. You know, the Neon does what the, uh, lots of art things, but they are not considered a non-profit art right. uh, yeah. entity. So okay. um, right. so that would be an example okay. of the... Because the what they're showing is commercial product. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Mm-hmm. They're not, yeah, okay, all right. Whereas the Human Rights Theater Company is organized as a nonprofit to. And so is the Victoria. Pure, yeah, purely for the mm-hmm. point of putting on the performance. Right, and the right. Victoria Theater is a yeah. nonprofit too. Yeah. So this yeah. We're not picking on the neon, by the way. We hasten right. No, no, right. and it's wonderful. I right. love the neon. Right. Um, so um, we got that. So then we were ready to start the, the meat of this process, which was getting input from the community. Mm-hmm. What did the community think? So we retained Wolf, uh, Mark Goldring of mm-hmm. Wolf Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, out of Boston, mm-hmm. they are. They have done most of the cultural planning initiatives across the country, mm-hmm. uh, and they're kind of the flagship for the benchmarks and things. So, they worked with us uh, overseeing this, but we continued to use our local researchers, mm-hmm. Richard Stock and Jane Dockery, mm-hmm. which really was great because they facilitated the meetings and they were local people, mm-hmm. and and so it was a really nice combination of the national. Mm-hmm. Um, knowledge with the local researchers. Uh, So we had um, over 250 people Mm -hmm. attending. It was a total of about 23 meetings. We had public meetings. Mm -hmm. We had um, uh, individual focus meetings, Mm -hmm. one meeting just on artists and Mm -hmm. another one arts educators. We had task force meetings. This was all, oversight for this was all provided by a uh, steering committee, uh, co-chairs of which uh, Deb Lieberman, County mm. Commissioner, yep. and Larry Claben from uh, Morris uh, Furniture. Furniture. Who's also president of the Wright State Trustees, right? Correct. So, uh, and then a, a, a very engaged steering committee. So it was a matter of taking all that information from the community and synthesizing it down and finding the consensus. Right. And actually, 
All of the transcripts from all of those meetings are on the Culture Connects 2020 website. So anyone who's interested can not only read the plan mm-hmm. uh, and the research that came out of it, they can also read. Uh, and it's interesting because you see how you start with the broad and mm-hmm. everyone's saying, and then gradually the consensus, focus down, right. the focus comes in. Right. And ultimately there were six areas determined as being our primary goal areas. Let's get to that after we tell people what they're listening to. Okay. Uh, take, take, take a breather and we'll get right back. If you're just tuning us, uh, tuning in with us, this is uh, Miami Valley Voices on this Cox Radio Station. Uh, good morning. Thank you for joining us. I'm Ron Rollins, your host, and I'm in the studio today with uh, Martine Collier, who's the president and CEO of CultureWorks, uh, the uh, regional arts and uh, support and advocacy organization based in downtown Dayton, but which handles the whole region, uh, fundraises and advocates and, and, and whatnot. And we're talking about the, um, the uh, tell me the name of the, the study again. Culture, the Connects Culture Connects 2020. 2020. Uh, the uh, cultural plan that was recently completed and made public. So what were some of those six uh, main findings that you came up with? So the six goals that came up, there are three under enhancing regional vitality through arts and culture. The first is economic development, augmenting all of the initiatives currently underway with more effective leveraging of the cultural assets that we have. Which Which means basically figuring out ways to make to, to support and sustain existing organizations and make them better into the future? Well, also working with, you know, regional development entities, mm, you know, okay. to use arts and culture as uh, uh, to attract uh, industry, okay. uh, development, investment, um, engineers, mm, uh, mm. Uh, the kind of workers we want in the community, the kind of people we want to live in the community, using okay. it more effectively than perhaps we are right now. Okay. The a huge initiative that everyone agreed on was certainly education and supporting uh, academic curricula at mm-hmm. all levels, mm-hmm. especially early learning, but also lifelong learning experiences. Um, I mentioned to you the Board of Education uh, just right. a, a week ago struck down the five of eight rule, the State Board of Education, which it is Remind going, people of that. That was a story that a lot of people missed. Yeah, it was in, in the Dayton Daily News, April 15th. We love the Dayton Daily News. And uh, yes, uh, there's a plug. And uh, basically the state school board, this five of eight was um, the number of uh, kind of outside uh, people that could be in the classroom, uh, art teachers, music teachers, also included librarians and school nurses and things, but really a lot of it, arts and music. And uh, that rule had been in place since the 70s, and they took that away, which basically is going to make it very hard for any um, underserved school to have anything uh, in their in their classrooms as far as this kind of education initiative. So we've really covered that in the plan and we want to find ways to to get that to the schools after school programs, really to use, uh, uh, to find ways to better connect the teachers and the school districts with the educational mm-hmm. opportunities, some of which are free or very low cost mm-hmm. that can enrich their students. So that was a huge initiative. Well, now let me ask, as a side question, and again, we're here with Mart- Martine Collier from CultureWorks. Um, where does that antipathy come from, do you think? I mean, people generally kind of like the arts as an idea, certainly. Uh, and they know that if you're, if you're looking back at history, you're looking at usually at the art from a certain historical period. You're not certainly reading the minutes from Congress or city commission. You're listening to the music and looking at the paintings. And so people sort of get some part of arts in their intuitive DNA about 
what matters. And yet there is kind of this antipathy that plays out in things like legislation and the state house. Where does we're talking well, about that a little I, bit? I think and, people and it sometimes may be, it may be kind of a subject for a, a bigger show some other time. But we'll just briefly no, touch just on talk briefly. About that. I think some some members of the public see that as a frill in the school, mm-hmm. like you know, not a basic core right. curriculum. It's thing. not math, so right. It must but be the fact of the matter is, this is not the. There is so much research that shows, for example, music, early learning in music, mm-hmm. helps children develop these connecting skills that work for math right. and help them, you know, these all these creative skills come from these kinds of arts experiences. And mm-hmm. you can use arts to teach any subject area, math mm-hmm. or history, it doesn't. We're not necessarily, with arts education, trying to train artists, although if someone like Micah Stock comes out of our community, that's pretty fabulous. Yeah. But we also want to train engineers and designers and people that have creative, um, mm-hmm. a creative workforce, mm-hmm. and that is really something that that this plan is very, very about using the, the community and the education to come together to mm-hmm. create a, a workforce that will help our economic vitality. So there, there, it's it's so much more than than being a frill. It's really an essential, but a lot of people don't see it that way. I kind of I, I've used the example with people of of their iPhone. You know that if if you um, you can look at an iPhone, you can look at the way it works, and you can know that it was an engineer or all kinds of engineers that 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 made it work. But you can tell that it was an artist who was the one that made you like it so much. And you know it is I mean? a work of art. It is a work of art in terms in in the terms of the graphics, the symmetry of it, the shape of it, the just the basic design. It's a it's a masterpiece of the kind of stuff you're talking about that in cases and is the thing that we interface with that encases all the electronic guts and engineering and wizardry inside. So you really need one with you need one with the other. And if you don't have it, what do you do? You've, everything, got, you've every, got a pile of wires. You know, yeah. Everything we deal with in daily life, an artist has touched the right. design of our cars and our homes. Our and, homes, furniture, and yeah. Furniture, yeah. and you walk through Target and you see a beautifully designed a right. toilet plunger, and suddenly you really want that toilet plunger right. and not another right. one. So, because of how it looks, right. Right, and, and so it works, it's yeah. that aesthetic is really very deeply right. into our consciousness. So, um, okay, yeah, I, I, I may bring you back. This is something I think about a lot, and, I, and I, we may talk about it again in some other time. Um, but that's, those are good thoughts. Thank you. Um, so the third, what other, what other bu- uh, the third goal points? was yeah. um, diversity. And we talk about developing community cohesiveness through more diverse and mm-hmm. in culture, uh, inclusive cultural organizations, programs, and activities. And we didn't just talk about diversity for being racial or ethnic diversity. Mm-hmm. It's also geographic diversity. Mm-hmm. Someone in our region that lives in a very rural part mm-hmm. of the region does not have the access to arts and culture that someone in downtown Dayton does. Mm-hmm. So it was about reaching all of these different populations and perhaps using the technology mm-hmm. that we have now that was not here 20 years ago when the last plan was done to find out innovative ways to mm-hmm. stream things or, mm-hmm. or to somehow connect people because people uh, choose their entertainment very differently than oh, they, they used to. So, uh, and so their information is, sources. I mean, your business and my business are in the same boat on that. So did, how did technology, the world is a different place than it was in 1992. So how did that kind of, how did that affect the conversation? Uh, it affected a, a lot. Of course, a lot of conversation was about, you know, millennials and getting them involved in this and how do you reach them? I mean, all arts organizations are talking about that, but all, more new, than, all newspapers, radio stations and TV well, stations than, and websites are too. And, yeah. and in a way, more than getting them 
sitting in the audience, a way of really getting them engaged, interactive, right. being on boards, working to make the arts work with the environmental issues that they care about, mm-hmm. the um, uh, the biking issues that they care about, the river issues that they care about, mm-hmm. making them all kind of work together. So there was a lot of talk about that as well as... And that fits into diversity as well. Um, right. And we, we were talking about the age diversity quite right. a bit right. in that, that area. Very interesting meetings that, that were facilitated. They were all fascinating. So, um, and people can find the other goals, of course, on the website. Uh, what was what, some? There was some conversation about obviously about sustainability and and about you know how to. Uh, and there's been a lot of a lot of the coverage. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about this before we flipped the mics on. A lot of the coverage about the plan. And again, people should go in and read read the read the plan on, on the website. They can read the executive summary, which is kind right. of plan light, right. or they can dig into the whole plan, sure. and they can also look at the the things that conversations. So there was a lot of discussion in the report, and the, the news reports kind of focused on you know funding models and stuff like because that. Because our fourth and, goal right. was resources, right. and in that we did we did look uh, Wolf Brown. Did did do um, a, a wonderful white paper for us. It's mm-hmm. also on the, the website about mm-hmm. funding mechanisms in place in other communities mm-hmm. across the country. Uh, the uh, Everyone genuinely felt that our community should take a look at a dedicated revenue source of some sort. So what would that look like? Is that like a tax or a well, levy or uh, a cigarette uh, tax? Or it's, it's Many usually, communities have tried different things. It, right? it is, and it's as individual as the community. In Cleveland, um, they have a cigarette tax, and it provides $14 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, $14 uh, million dollars a year? Uh, annually, wow. more than the state arts council. Of course, Cleveland's bigger than we are. Sure, so that sure. would, uh, In Denver, several counties came together and have a one-tenth of one percent sales tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Minnesota, they combined arts with public safety. Mm-hmm. In uh, Portland, oh, Oregon, they just did it for arts education and nothing else. So there, there are lots of different models. We, we didn't come up with which one should possibly be looked at, mm-hmm. but the consensus and the plan does suggest that the implementation committee that will be moving this forward, also headed by Larry Claben mm-hmm. and Deb Lieberman, mm-hmm. uh, that, that they start looking at, at possibilities for that, even while we're fulfilling some of the other uh, strategies of the other goals. Is that something you think the community would support? I, w- I hope so. I think it's uh, I think it's all about how you position it and and the value of it. If you're l- still thinking that arts are a frill in the schools, mm-hmm. and if you're thinking <laughs> yeah. that the I don't go to the arts, so the right. arts don't matter to me, no. But that's wrong because right. even if your thing is sports, the arts here benefit your kids, your grandkids. Uh, they bring industry to the community. It's good for the community. And somebody designed the uniform of the team you're rooting Absolutely. for. Absolutely. Right, right. So we may have to to do some um, a, a good good marketing uh, program to really let people know the value sure. uh, and understand it for this. So too. so very briefly, uh, we got about a minute or a minute and a half left. Uh, what what are what are some next steps for this? Well, the next steps is uh, we have an implementation committee. They're going to start looking at the first of the goals mm-hmm. and strategies that are to implement. They're going to go with some. Uh, very easy, quickly implementable things first while they're looking at the long-term picture of things like a funding source. Mm-hmm. But what we really want is continued community participation. Mm-hmm. We want people to go to the Culture Connects 2020 website, sign up to get more information. If they want to be involved in the implementation of this plan, we would love to have them. They just need to let us know through the website, and we will make sure they get invitations. Uh, there will then be subcommittees on each of these under the overall 
uh, implementation, and we mm-hmm. have a lot of projected partners. But this has been a community plan up to this point, sure. community input, and we want to the only we want it to stay that way and be implemented by the community. I should probably have Deb and Larry in on a show too in a couple of weeks to sort of I, talk. about I think that, that, that would be, be a good. wonderful idea. Uh, neither of them has been in the studio here before. Um, a few minutes, just a few seconds left. Um, are you optimistic? You seem pretty bullish on all this. I mean, uh, very optimistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was as we rolled out the plan on Thursday at Cox Arboretum, there was a real sense of excitement. Mm-hmm. People wanted to stay afterwards and talk about it. People were coming up and volunteering. Uh, there's a wonderful video on the website with some of our community leaders in town talking about it. I encourage anyone that says, I still don't understand why this is important, mm-hmm. to go to the website. On the front page, you can click and see the video, and I think that really helps tell the story. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming in. Martine Collier from uh, CultureWorks, thank you for coming in talking with us about the arts. And thank you, you for inviting and, me. And how to keep them going. Absolutely. We will have you back. I mean, this is an issue I think is near and dear to my heart, but it is going to stay with us for a while. So this has been uh, Miami Valley Voices. I'm your host, Ron Rollins. Uh, We'll be here next Sunday, same time, uh, same channel, and we uh, hope you'll tune in and join us then. In the meantime, have a great week.